comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs, and one. Cal up top, Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. Watson, and a foul! This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Aztec Nation, what is up? This is the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Trone. Doing another PupCast edition of the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. Uh... Make sure to, you know, like, follow, subscribe, all the good stuff. You can find me on social media at Aztec Breakdown. You can find Kyle at Call Me Kinslow. You can find Jacob at Aztec Analytics. And you can find Austin at It's Austin Bolton and Carly at Car Car McGee. You know, we've been uh we've been adding some talent to the roster here at Aztec Breakdown this year. And uh it's worked out well. It's worked out well. So shout out to to really everyone on the squad there. What I'm going to try and do today is dive a little bit deeper into Charleston. Uh, yesterday, as I'm recording this, we put out an episode, Austin, Carly, and myself, looking at just kind of recapping their experience in Vegas, as well as, as looking at Charleston. We recorded that not that long after the announcement, though. Uh, so there was only so much we could do it was a lot of on paper stuff um and so i'm hoping you know i've watched some tape i'm hoping to watch more but i've watched some tape and some highlights and looked even more at the on paper stuff so i want to try and highlight some of these things briefly so that's the plan for today and if you do happen to be a fan of the college of charleston i hope what you'll find is that you know, this approach is, is more or less objective. Obviously, I'm an Aztec fan. I want the Aztecs to win. Um, but I'm trying to approach this kind of somewhat similar to how, like, the coaching staff might approach it in terms of what are the problems and what are the solutions. So I hope you'll find that. I'm sure I won't get everything right, but this is what I've seen so far. With that being said, let's get into the show. So one thing I've been seeing... A little bit since the announcement is uh, that Charleston compares like there's they're a similar team to Utah State um, and I think it's it's more or less fair right they're obviously not going to be exactly the same um, but I think it's 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 more or less fair as an Aztec fan that is something as exciting because we beat Utah State three times this season including just a couple days ago for the Mountain West Championship so as an Aztec fan if you're here in Charleston compares to Utah State that sounds that sounds nice right you're like okay this is a dub um I think it's it's not hard to see why those comparisons exist and some of the reasons might not be the most accurate, but this Charleston team, they're really fast. They, they play really fast. Uh, and they like to shoot a lot of threes, right? Uh, in comparison to Utah, to Utah State, they actually play faster. And honestly, I don't think that just means, like, getting into transition more or just running up the court or whatever. Like, also in the half court, 
they play very fast, right? There isn't a whole lot of like somebody catching and just, you know, surveying and isolating or whatever. There's always two or three people that are moving off the ball pretty much, uh, whether they're setting screens, whether they're cutting, whether they're just relocating somewhere. Uh, and it's a lot of off ball stuff as opposed to on ball stuff that the Aztecs like to run. And that's not to say the Aztecs never run off ball stuff, but the, the ratio here is going to be a lot different, right? So they might have a time where somebody catches and they're surveying, but it's because they're waiting for a guy to come off a screen to set something else up, right? It's all like super deliberate and, and well thought out in terms of the actions that they're running and the, uh, the synergy they have between the actions, like, like action A does one thing, which makes option or action B more likely to succeed. It's a lot of that type of stuff. So that's a little scary. They, that I like, to me, it looks like they do that even more than Utah State does that, right? Where Utah State will have a guy like Stephen Ashworth who's always running around, and some of it is definitely designed, and some of it is just kind of like a feel and a flow thing. And that's, that's what makes him so good, right? Because if it's all designed, you can prep for that in the scouting report. But if it's not all designed, he's going to get open because you don't know what he's going to do yet. He's just going to find the hole in the defense. Charleston seems a little more designed, right? Once again, not that they can't do it off of feel and flow. I've seen a little bit of that too, but they uh, they have just a little more rigidity is what is what it looks like to me in that regard. So Charleston has a lot of ball and player movement. The other thing that I think stands out when people look on paper is just the sheer number of threes that Charleston takes every game. Like they come up the floor looking to jack shots. It's, it's almost half of their shots come from behind the arc. Uh, and so that reminds Aztec fans of Utah State because Utah State is a really good three-point shooting team. And when you, when you listen to these national talking heads, they talk about how good of a three-point shooting team Charleston is, right? Because they will look and see Charleston makes makes uh, 10 threes a game. Like, that's a lot of threes. And so, and that's, that's a lot of points. Uh, the problem is they take 33s to do it. Um, so they're not super accurate, whereas Utah State will make, you know, a mere nine threes a game, but they only take 24 threes to do it. Uh, so Utah State is like one of the most accurate three-point shooting teams in in the nation, honestly, whereas Charleston doesn't have that accuracy, but they do supplement it with volume. Uh, now, where it will be similar is that both teams are going to have a large amount of gravity out on the perimeter. Volume is a better indicator of gravity than accuracy is. And so, like, for example, if there's a player and you're closing out or you're making your scouting report and you know that they only take two threes a game, uh, but they make, like, 50% of them, you're you're not going to close out as hard because you think that guy's less likely to take the three, right? So, sure, he'll make one, 
but he's he's not going to take it very often. Whereas if there's a guy who takes like seven threes a game and only makes 31 or 32%, maybe even 33%, you're closing out on that guy, right? Because he's he's going to he's going to take that shot and if he gets hot, right, it's a problem. And so Charleston is very good at like getting the ball inside and kicking it out to shooters one way or another, whether it's kicking it out of the post or whether it's, you know, off of a drive, off of a pick and roll type of thing. They're very good in the pick and roll. They have multiple guys whose efficiency in the pick and roll is in like the 90th percentile or better, uh, or maybe it was the high 80s. It was something like that. So they're very good at the pick and roll in scoring. And as a side note, like I said in, in the previous show, those numbers aren't adjusted for competition. And so how much of that comes from playing against worse teams? I don't know. But regardless, what we've seen, what we know from what we've seen so far this year is that they are very good in the pick and roll so they can pass out of it and they can also pass out of the post. Um, so there's that. So there's just some some on paper things that make them similar. I think... One thing that makes them different is Utah State doesn't really have a dominant big man, right? They have their Dorius guy who's 7-1, and he goes in and he fills up some space and protects the rim a little bit. And they have Aiken, who he did win sixth man of the year, but he's not like a super dominant, like, back-to-the-basket type of big man. He's kind of like an energy guy who comes in and, get some offensive rebounds and some putbacks and things like that. Whereas Charleston, they have a guy whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce, uh, but he's number 10 on Charleston. And he takes the most shots on the team currently. Uh, it's, it's a slim margin, but, you know, throughout conference season, he's the one taking the most shots on the team. And he's he's a good big man, right? And he can play back to the basket in the post or face up in the post. Uh, and he also is not afraid to go out to the perimeter and shoot threes, right? Once again, he's not the most accurate. I think he's at 31 or 32% on the season. But he takes three of them a game. So he's not afraid to space the floor in like a five-out type of set and take that three if he's left open which will be a problem that the coaches will have to figure out how to do, right? Are they, are they switching on guys just to keep guys close the whole time? Because we know the Aztec defense loves to switch, and we know that they can do it. Do they, you know, keep Nathan Mensa out on the perimeter to contest those threes? And, and, but that, you know, what does that give up in terms of the rim protection? that they have, right? Sorry, there's a lot of background noise. My dog is spazzing out here in the background. Uh, so what you right, what does that do to the rim protection, right? Does that put more of an onus on guys like Keyshot or a rope to get over and help in terms of the rim? And if it does, does that leave somebody else open from three who's an even better three-point shooter? Do they just say, you know, if this 6'10 center is going to beat us from three, so be it, right? We're going to let him shoot from out there because we think he's going to miss more often than not because that's what it's been this season so far. I don't know what they do, honestly. 
anytime there's a stretch five, it can absolutely play havoc with defenses. It's not impossible to guard. Not impossible at all, right? The Aztecs have played stretch fives this season, namely in Nevada. Uh, but it just makes things a little more complicated. So something to keep an eye on. They will also, I posted a clip of this on Twitter, they will get their center into like isolation in the low post and let him go to work. And that's honestly where he's, he's best at. It's where he's the most effective is when he's down there. And so, you know, how does that happen? They're in isolation. If it's somebody like Nathan Mensah down on him, He's probably going to be okay more often than not, right? That's not that's not trying to be disrespectful to to number ten there, but uh, Nathan Mensah, when he's on his game at least, is a really good defender, and we've seen that. And he hasn't always been on his game this season, I will admit, right? Uh, but he has had enough that he showed he can still be that dude when he's on his game. So that's all something to to consider. But then also. If the Aztecs are switching to try and prevent those drives to the lane the way they did against Utah State in the championship game, right? They started out in the drop coverage, trying to encourage some some mid-range twos and some and some long threes and stuff. And then they they started switching instead because Utah State was just eating up the drop coverage. So if they do that to try and prevent those drives into the into the lane and finishes at the rim. Will Charleston be able to take advantage by getting, you know, somebody like Darian Trammell or Lamont Butler onto number 10, who is 6'10 to 30, roughly? Uh, he's a big, strong dude, right? So, like, if you get Darian Trammell or Lamont Butler, like, Lamont Butler's strong for his size, don't get me wrong, but he's still only 6'2. There's, you know, what, what all is he going to be able to do down there? A little bit. Right, you can have smaller guys guard bigger guys, but it's just a lot harder. It's just a lot harder. It takes a lot of, a lot more like legwork and footwork. And even if you do good, they can just shoot on top of you. So it gets, uh, gets tricky there. So that is all. That is all something to consider, as well. Uh, and if that happens, do the Aztecs? send a double team because that's oftentimes what they would do in that type of situation but if you do charleston like there's nobody to double off of in the sense of in the sense of volume if you send a double they're going to get it out they're going to take the three there are people to double off of in terms of accuracy absolutely right there's guys who only shoot 31 32 33 percent from the from the field from deep there that you can double off of and just kind of hope for the best. But in terms of volume, like if you double, they're going to find that guy and the shot is going up. So it's, it's once again, right, that the coaches are going to have a tough time deciding what it is they want to live with, I think. And it might even change partway through the game, right? We heard Chris Acker talk. I just talked about the defensive change they made against Utah State. We heard Chris Acker, Acker talk about that too, how they they went into the game against Utah State with a game plan. They had to switch it partway through the game, and then they had to switch it again at halftime. So they can do that. That's the benefit of, of all the experience they have. And we'll just have to see how how it all works out. Uh, but they like they they will pose some 
some issues in in that regard. The last thing to look out for also with number 10 is that he is good at drawing fouls. Um, And we do know that guys like Nate can have tendencies to commit fouls that they maybe shouldn't. Um, So that'll be something to look out for too, right? Does a guy like Nate get into early foul trouble? If they're switching, does a guy like Lamont get into early foul trouble? How does that affect things? Right. Uh, so these are all these are all things to to that the coaches will need to consider when they're when they're making their their game plan. The other guy I want to talk about for today uh, is Dalton Bolin. He is the starting small forward for Charleston. He stands. He comes in at six four. I think he's listed at two ten. Um, He's a pretty strong dude. From what I've seen of him, he's pretty good at finishing at the rim. Um, So that's something to look out for. He does take, I think, more threes than twos. Um, And he's not super great at finishing the threes, right? He can do it, obviously. He shoots like 32%. But it's interesting because it's a time where the team might actually benefit from him trying to get to the rim more as opposed to taking threes given how good he's he's been from what i've seen at least at finishing at the rim so that's interesting that being said they're 31 and 3 so they're doing something right right maybe i shouldn't question it too much um but he'll be an interesting player as well to see who matches up against him i think because when you look at it on paper that seems like that's matt bradley's matchup right they're both 6-4 matt bradley is a big big strong dude in his own right. Um, so that seems to line up well. Uh, also, the other question is, if he's the guy taking the most shots, do you maybe want Lamont Butler on him instead? Do you, do you, you know, want to put your best perimeter defender on the guy who's there going to be taking the most shots? I think it's worth considering. I don't think they end up doing it. I think they just trust Matt Bradley with that assignment, at least to start and see how it goes. And I think they'll put Butler on somebody else who's a little bit smaller and has the ball in their hands more. That's going to be that's going to be key because Bolin uh, doesn't have his hands on the ball all the time, right? He's he's more of an off-ball player than some of their other like lead ball handling guards, so. That'll be something worth considering as well. But like I said, I think I think Butler will get matched up with somebody else, and that will just be Bradley's assignment. But that'll be interesting to see, you know, if he has to focus more on defense because he's guarding one of the, the lead shot takers, how does that affect his offense, right? We definitely want Matt Bradley to get going in this game. He had some efficient games in the Mountain West tournament, but maybe not always the volume that we would hope or expect for. But then again, it's kind of been the case throughout much of the year, right, where the volume hasn't hasn't always been there. And so, you know, would you, would you prefer the volume or the efficiency? I'd probably lean towards efficiency because there's going to be somebody else on the team probably who can get, who can get the volume. Um... Uh, so that's something to consider, right? Does his efficiency and or volume get impacted if he's having to spend 
more energy on defense. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the team has been defending hard for most of the season. And so they should, they should know how to do it by now, hopefully. Uh, and the last thing, on the Aztec side, I don't think this will be a surprise to anybody, but hopefully Jaden Ledee can have another good game, right? Um, we saw it against... Wyoming and we saw even some flashes of it during the tournament right I, I highlighted that against Colorado State he came in and he kind of changed the momentum of that game early on and also against Utah State he was in there he was grabbing offensive rebounds he was scoring he was doing stuff there and he ended up uh, being first team all tournament and we talked on the show yesterday about how maybe he should have been the the uh, the tournament MVP, right? There's, I think there's an argument to be made there. So um, if he can get going, right, if he continues to roll the way he has, he might just be able to, to feast on these Charleston bigs. Charleston, their starting center is 6'10". Their backup center is 6'8". Um... And Jaden Ledee is 6'9", but we also know how well-built Jaden Ledee is. He does have issues with his hands at times. Just in terms of what I mean by that is just, like, securing the ball. Like, he'll go up for a rebound and uh, get, like, you know, bumped a little bit, and all of a sudden he can't catch the ball. Or, like, he'll get the ball in the post, and it's not terribly difficult to strip the ball from him all the time. So... You know, there's that, but despite that, he's been balling out the last few games. Even going back before the tournament, right? Even going back to Wyoming, that might have been his best game of the year. So, if the Aztecs can find a way to get him going, that'll that that could be huge, right? I I don't think you start him. I think it's too late in the year to make that kind of switch. And what impact might that have on? the other guys right maybe there's no impact maybe they're all just like this is about the team this is what we do but maybe it does and I think you just you just you just wait for him to come in with the bench unit the way you've been doing it's been working it's kind of like to change things up there was a Wyoming last year when they were playing was it Indiana I want to say it was Indiana they changed their starting lineup to like better match Indiana size or something. And it didn't work out well. And they, they very well might have lost anyways. But it didn't work out well. They just seemed to not be in as good of a rhythm as they had been in all all season up to that point. So, you know, I don't I don't think you change the starting lineup right now. I know there's gonna be people calling for that, and it's it's reasonable to do so, right? You can see why somebody would say. Jaden Liddy should be starting. That's not an unreasonable take at all. It's not a hot take at all. I, I 100% get it. Um, I think it's just too late in the season to do that. So let him get his shots off coming off the bench. Um, the Aztecs have made an effort to get the ball inside more. So that's great. And I, I do think they can do some damage in there between Liddy doing what he does, between a rope doing what he does, and between Johnson doing what he does, right? 
a rope is kind of like a middle ground. So like Ladi can kind of create for himself some as well as get offensive rebounds. A rope can do some of that as well as get the offensive rebound. Johnson is just like limited more sort of offensive rebounds. And it's not that he never hits other shots. He's hit some big shots this year. But I think between the three of them, he's the one you trust to create for himself the least, probably. But with with the size discrepancy in the big area in the paint they can do some they can do some damage back there. Charleston's starting power forward I think is 65. And they do have a guy who comes in uh Ben Burnham is his name and I remember it because I'm a fan of the comedian Bo Burnham. But they have a guy who comes in he's 67 and he knows how to cut off ball. He's a smart player and he's a very good three-point shooter. He's one of those low volume, high efficiency guys where he shoots, I think I saw he's shooting 50% on the year in conference play. So he's kind of like their version of Adam Seiko, but he, he, uh, is six, seven, right? So that could, that could cause some things as well. I don't know. We'll see the, the, the matchups I think overall are just super interesting. I do expect the Aztecs to be able to come out on top. I don't think it'll be necessarily a cakewalk. I think Charleston will be able to throw some things at the Aztecs that cause some trouble. And I think we, as Aztec fans, know that this team can go through some some scoring slumps here. Um, and against a team like Charleston, that can flip any lead that they might have very quickly, right? Because Charleston's getting up and down the floor so fast and shooting so fast uh, that a 10-point lead can turn into a two- or three-point lead pretty quickly if you let it. So, you know, we need to, <laughs> as fans, we need to brace for that, I think, um, and, and trust in the defense because it's worked all year pretty much. Is, is the good news is the defense has worked all year. If the guys can focus on getting back on defense and ending defensive possessions by getting rebounds, right? Those are the two big things. And it can be tricky because when teams take a lot of threes, it can lead to a lot of long rebounds, which makes it harder to secure the defensive board. And I think that's something that has helped out Charleston in the sense of their offensive rebounding rate that's really high is that they take a lot of long long threes, long twos, at least to long rebounds, and that's how they do it. I don't think it's the only way, right? I think there's there's also other factors between them. I mean, one, just looking for them, right, and, and like putting an emphasis on getting those rebounds, and also, to a certain extent, potentially the level of competition they've played as well goes into that. Um, but the Aztecs, I mean, if, if the Aztecs get back in transition, if they play their defensive game, and uh, if they can get those rebounds, then they should be fine, I think, honestly. I think they will get enough scoring to be able to win, right? The lower scoring the game is, I think that benefits the Aztecs more because Charleston will be running up and taking these shots and missing, and that will get frustrating and demoralizing, whereas the Essex are used to that. That's what they want to do, right? I think if, if the game is up in the 80s, that might be problematic. That is kind of how the Essex were playing early in the year, so it's not that they can't do it, 
but it's not how they've played for a while. They've much more settled into their more typical style of like, we're going to defend, we're going to play slower, we'll run when there's an opportunity, but we're going to play slower, and that's how we're going to beat teams. And it's been working. Uh, So get back on defense and rebound. And I think those are really the keys to most every Aztec game, honestly, but especially this one just with how Charleston runs and what they do. With that, Aztec fans, I think I know this was a little herky-jerky. Sorry about this truck that's driving by right now. I know this was a little herky-jerky. I get stream of consciousness, but I do appreciate y'all listening. I'll try and see what else I can find and what else might be important over the coming days here and if you're a charleston fan welcome once again i apologize for the herky-jerky and the low production value this is just what i have to do at the moment but uh thank you all for listening and we will catch you next time